Have you thought about becoming a career coach, but not sure what it's really like? Not sure how to get started? Well, we've got you covered. Let's drop into this week's conversation of how to become a career coach. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the How to Become a Career Coach podcast. I'm super excited today. We have a really special guest, and even before we hit the record button, we were just chatting about everything. (laughs) including her dog, Tacoma, which Tacoma will make an appearance sometime. So if you have a dog, I'd encourage you to bring yours in. And Daphne, my dog, she's not here with me today, but she's here in spirit. But more so than that, I'm super excited to have our guest on today. She is the founder of Next Femme, helping professional women really succeed in their lives, their careers, and become super high performing. And I hope I got that right. And you totally got it right. It's awesome. I'm a chief Uh, optimizer for women and leaders in general. And I do a lot of work with startups, but NextFem was found to really help modern professional women advance um, in the workplace. That's awesome. So without further ado, bringing on Tara Padua on the podcast. So Tara, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Like we were talking about before we hit the record button, I'm super excited. We're chatting more about her story and her background. And I was like, okay, wait, we need to start hitting the record button because just from doing your research, but getting the chance to talk to you, I think your story means a lot and would like to hear more about it. So my question to you is, what did you do before becoming a career coach? Oh, it's such a, it's so funny. The origin story of like, of career coaches, I think my story was a little bit unusual because isn't so unusual today, but I began my career as an executive coach when I was about 25. Like I, I went to, to college early, I graduated early, I did all of these things early, and I began my career in private equity at JP Morgan and then at Alliance Bernstein. So like these big name companies doing this work. And I remember I was in San Francisco and my dad, I was talking to my dad and he's just like, I don't want you to get good at something that you don't love. And in my mind, I was like, dad, you could have told me that when I was in school in the South of France, so I could have gone to India and not worked at JP Morgan. But I really took that to heart. And so that's when I kind of began my exploration about who I wanted to be when I grew up and, you know, went to Brazil and got my master's and worked for a senator and did all of these things within a really condensed time frame. Yeah. For like two and a half years. And then at the end of that journey, one of, I was working for the senator and so one of our constituents came up and he's like, you know, there's this new profession called coaching. I think you'd be really good at that. As I was helping Salvadoran immigrants file temporary protection status and things like that. And it just got me thinking. I was like, yeah, because I was always an athlete and competitive and danced ballet and did all these things and was very much like I understood the, the importance of coaching, mm. but I knew that I liked helping people, that I didn't want to get into therapy, but that I knew that I was really good at helping people perform and produce results. So yeah, that was like the thing. And two weeks later, I signed up for a training program and a year later, I, I literally, two weeks later, I signed up for a year-long training program in another city. And then I went back into finance for a couple of years as I built up my coaching business and decided to go full-time. I think that's super interesting because so many people that I find get into coaching have like backgrounds doing a ton of different 
often disparate kind of activities. Like nothing always like creates this like story of, hey, I did this, did this, did this, and that. It's often so many people and why I love talking to people on these podcasts is you just hear how everybody got here. But I kind of selfishly too, I had this inkling before we hit the record button that we might become best friends. (laughs) Yes. For all of our listeners on here, it's kind of my own selfish journey, but you were living in the South of France and I studied abroad in the South of France in in Aix-en-Provence. Oh, me too. But where, I mean, not an ex, but I was in Lacoste in the Luberon. Like, oh. Yes, we were like 20 minutes. 20 um, minutes. See, this is just... Very uh, auspicious. Yeah. And it, for me, that whole experience changed my life completely. But it kind of, for me, opened up a lot of doors. But I realized through those experiences, I imagine from, from everybody has those kind of turning points that really life is what you decide it is and help kind of help set this pre 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 stage to mm-hmm. later becoming a coach. So I guess part of that in your, in your story, I'm curious why for yourself want to become a coach in the first place. The short answer is that I grew up in a pretty hard sort of way, you know, with a challenging childhood mm-hmm. and basically produced results for which there was no agreement in my environment, meaning like I was, my family's from Puerto Rico. I was the first person in my family, male or female, to go to college. The first, I was always very driven. My sister will tell you, I used to come home from college when I was 17 to talk to her high school advisor about her career path. I think I was always an OG coach because Mm. I dragged my siblings over the finish lines. Like, (laughs) Like such strong opinions about like what's possible. And for me, it was always from this place of like, I love you, you're going to be great. So I think for me, I was always kind of doing that without knowing it, you know, like, and then I think because of the way that I grew up with, you know, kind of being poor and and, and having to do, you know, all of these, like, you know, I dance for the Empire State Ballet, like I work for a US senator, I work for a top company. I think that there was this piece around, for a long time, I was very externally motivated. So... (laughs) When I was in grad school and working for a U.S. senator and in a top school in the country and realizing that I had sort of checked all the boxes and was still not fulfilled, I was like, I sort of had this little existential crisis of I've done everything and I'm still not doing something that I love. And I think I was raised in a family culture or in a culture where you're not only supposed to work hard, but you're supposed to do, like my, my dad said, like, I don't want you to get good at something that you don't love. Mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't love me. I don't love this. I don't love, you know, and so I felt like a fraud. And so I think it was born of this like little crucible I had in graduate school where I was really trying to figure out who I wanted to be. And then when they said it, it just kind of like made sense. I mean, Tim Galway, one of the founders of executive coaching in the coaching profession wrote books, which applied like really simple principles around sports to the realm of like human potential. So he has this formula for coaching called performance equals potential minus interference. So performance, any goal that you want to produce equals potential. What are your strengths? What are your passions? Like, what do you care about? Minus interference. And interference is really our inner critic, our limiting beliefs, our filters. And I realized sort of looking back, like for me, I was always very results oriented, but I think like a lot of people who are striving, I was willing to 
compromise my joy and my sense of self-satisfaction. And so I think for me, my becoming a coach really was born out of understanding that like we all have goals that we want to produce Mm -hmm. and really seeing the power of human potential and looking at human potential like my own and others and being like, okay, so well, we can manage interference, but really like how do we grow potential in people? And then how do we manage sort of our inner critic or those things that kind of hold us back? So yeah, like as soon as I discovered coaching, I was hooked, terrified, but hooked. I was like, this is amazing. And at the time back in 2003, like not many people were doing it. So I had a little bit of like imposter syndrome going from a cushy job that was like kind of upward potential and then going and becoming an entrepreneur to something that no one knew anything about. I wanted to get back on that because I think that's something very important that all of our listeners really need to know. And it really looks different for everybody in their situations. But you mentioned the inner critic. And anytime I hear the inner critic, it always makes me think about Brene Brown and the Theodore Roosevelt quote. Yes. Daring greatly. And it's not about the critics don't count and the cheap seats. It's the person in the arena. And I flubbed up that entire quote, but I've got No, it. you totally mangled it to perfection. It's actually <laughs> amazing. But that's the gist of it. It's like, listen, yeah. it takes something. Exactly. And I've got it actually a frame on my wall with that quote <laughs> that I got from Brene Brown's website. But I think so much when people are going through this journey of becoming a coach and so much for the people that I talk to and guests on this podcast, it's very much this inner critic journey. We're stepping into such a new field and essentially making that leap and more of and what I find it's, it looks different for everybody. Are you familiar with the war of art by Stephen Pressfield? Oh, I'm familiar. I've got it on my bookshelf right over oh here. Oh my gosh. Yes. We were totally, we're meant to be besties. So you know what we're talking about is like interference, yeah. you know, that basically the premise of that book, if you haven't read it is that anything worth your soul's calling, you will encounter interference. So Meaning like rather than sit down and write the book, you'd rather eat like a large pizza and drink a bottle of wine or, and I think that that's how it is, right? You know, for things that are worth. I 100% agree. And the two, dropping two book references here, one is Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. So go check out that one, but also The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. But getting back to the question more is how did you know it was time to make that leap? You're talking about doing a side hustle for a while, then and going to become a career coach. But I was curious for you, how do you know when that time, when it was? Well, there wasn't really an internal time. It was really more an external milestone. So number one, I, after I graduated, was invited back to become part, to train coaches. So apparently I was good at it. And that was really validating in a strange way. Like I just was like, well, I guess this is really happening. Not only did I graduate, but apparently I'm good. So that was like, I think thing number one or event number one. I think that the other event was I kept my job for a year and a half. So I was working, I went back into finance to pay for my training program because I was living in New York city. And as you know, with any city, there's overhead. And then about, so after my, my training ended, I thought if I can get 10 clients, and do them all on Sunday, which I don't recommend, by the way, because it means you just never have a Saturday where you can go out and have fun. But I was like, if I can get 10 clients consistently for six months and save up six, month worth, six months worth of salary, then I will resign. Which when I think about it, six months is like nothing. But 
I kind of set an arbitrary goal for myself. And I remember when I saved up six months worth of salary, it's because I thought I need a little bit of runway in case I don't get new clients. And when I got to the 10 clients, that's really when I decided to go full time. And I remember talking to my boss at the time, and I had a plan A and a plan B and a plan C just because I was so terrified. You know, I even when I began my coaching practice, scheduled every single hour of my day because I was so afraid that without the external bells and whistles of an office and a big job and credibility that I would end up doing heroin or like, I'm just, I'm joking, but I, I was terrified. I was like, I am not reliable to not eat a whole box of cookies (laughs) and ruin my whole life. If, unless I schedule every hour on the hour. And then when I wasn't marketing for new clients, because basically if I didn't have a client, I would spend that time reaching out and connecting with people and letting them know that I was, you know, doing this, this coaching thing. And my boss at my old job said I could come back and consult oh. this whole coaching thing. But she said, she's like, I think this is really going to work out for you. I think this is what you're meant to do. I often have the same journey where you let those fear gremlins talk, another Brene Brown reference, kind mm-hmm. of, but those fear gremlins get in the way. And I always thought, oh my God, I'm going to go do this. And then I'm not going to do, do very well. I'm going to not succeed. And then I'm going to be a hobo on the street. Like that was you just escalate. It's a full-on downward spiral until you're like, I totally know exactly. Because I used to see homeless people on the street and I couldn't be with them because I would literally think that I'm going to go from getting a master's and working yeah. for a senator and working for... There's all of these external things that validate who you are and your sense of identity. And so even in my first year of coaching, I would, I had stronger relational agency, meaning like I could advocate on behalf of my old company or, you know, like I think what kind of helped me was... I would tell myself, it's not about me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really helping these people. Let me ask you something, though. Yeah, um, go ahead. What was it like when you got your first, Philip, when you got your first paying client? That's uh, going to be one of my questions for you. But okay. it was actually, so, <laughs> like, you get this sense of both excitement and fear. Part mm-hmm. of it is like, oh, my gosh, I'm doing everything that I want to do. Someone's actually paying me for the thing I'm talking to them about. They trust me enough to hire me, which is awesome, but then terrified. You're like, oh my God, wait, what if I mess up? Wait, wait, what if they think I'm a fraud? Oh wait, they're going to find me out and they're going to be like, this guy, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. Like kick him out of the career coaching school or whatever, those kinds of things. So it's like Mm -hmm. at one time I'm super Mm -hmm. excited because I'm actually doing what I plan and set and thought of my, for myself that I've been planning for years and years and years. But then it's the other point too, where I find so many people who, whatever profession you're in, and it's like the, oh my gosh, what if they find out that I'm not really supposed to be here? And then they kick me out. So it's like both of those very I real love things. that. Yeah. It's sort of like Rapunzel leaving the tower, you know, yeah. entangled, where she's like, oh my God, I'm free. Like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> I'm so glad you brought the first Disney reference on this podcast. So thank you. Yes, you're welcome. You're welcome. What I can was, basically compare any leadership principle to some some cartoon. Like I feel like every great adventure is a little bit like Harry Potter where yeah. you embark on, you know, there's like a flaw that leads to a great journey that leads to you can't get it done with it unless you have a bunch of your friends. So yes, we can talk about this. What was it like for you in getting those first clients, but also what gave you the confidence then to go to the second, the third, the fourth, the clients beyond that too? 
Okay, such a good question. Because I remember, and with a lot of my clients, because I, I told you I trained coaches for about nine years. Yeah. And yeah. Now what I can do between me and you and us squirrels, if I have a new coach that I'm mentoring, I will often like, we'll have the conversations around coaching and getting paid. And they're often like, yeah, but I love what I'm doing. And I'm like, yeah, but you got to get paid. Yeah, but I love what I'm doing. Yeah, but you got to get paid. Because really, it's sort of this alignment. I feel like it's part of like spirit or the universe or whatever you believe in. Like, it really is about getting in alignment. Like you have a gift that's going to transform other people's lives. Like, and you can't make a difference if you can't make a living. And if you're bringing all of this goodness and it's really this energy exchange that needs to happen, but I wasn't this spiritually enlightened back then. So just to close the door on that though, with a lot of new coaches that I work with, I'll often bring them into a project that I'm working on so they can experience that energy exchange of getting paid to do what you love, but doing it in a much more safe and less confrontational way. Mm -hmm. So my first client, I literally remember asking them for the fee that my coach told me that I, you know, we kind of aligned on this fee that I should ask for and that I was comfortable with. Yeah. And and I couldn't set my own goals. Like I remember even further down, like it was maybe I'd been coaching for about five years. I would always ask my friend's kids, like what, what I should charge. And I'd have them hold me accountable because kids, you could be like, I'm going to charge $500 an hour. I'm going to charge. They don't care. All they want to, all they want to know is like, did you do it? And can we celebrate? But anyway, my coach told me and we were talking about it. And I remember, so the person said, yes. And I think it was something like $500 a month for four sessions. And I remember locking myself in my apartment afterwards and not talking to anyone for like 24 hours. Like that weekend, I think there was a lot of like Netflix and chill (laughs) because it was so confronting to think like how absurd that someone would pay me this kind of money to, and it's so weird because I worked in finance and I was totally comfortable getting other people's money, you know, for other things. Like it's, it's so abstract. Like when you think about it, right. Like managing equity and things like that. But when it was someone paying me, it was really confronting. So I locked myself in and then I was comfortable after that asking, cause it really is, I'm like I said, I'm very coachable. So it was about building that muscle. But I remember Another like another level for me around getting paid was really this piece around well how do you value yourself so that's how I spent like when I first got I, I literally remember the moment and where I was living and where, what I did because it just involved a lot of Chinese food and Netflix and then and then celebrating afterwards but I did I definitely freaked myself out a little bit by the possibility of actually doing what I love and getting paid I think that brings up a bunch of interesting but I appreciate you sharing really what's going on in your head. I think most of us know that it's a process, not doesn't happen at one time, like ordering something off of Amazon. We know that this takes time, but I think most people, or at least people that I talk to, and maybe some of our listeners think that it's like people decide they're going to become career coaches and then they start coaching, then they have a business. And then like, it's all just like checks off the box and people come to them. But really more in reality, what this looks like, it's something you've been most likely been doing for years and years and years. And then now we're formalizing that kind of process. And then it's like the slow stage of bringing clients in slowly, but surely Mm -hmm. in a way that kind of fits into your life, but fits into your life from an energy kind of standpoint too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, also when I was a new to your energy point, there is this alignment piece where, well, first of all, I think when you're a new coach, you definitely work harder 
mm-hmm. and not smarter. And I'm not saying this from an arrogance. I just recall every sport that I've ever played, every, but it, it, even in coaching, I remember when I, the more that I learned about coaching, like the art and science, the easier it became. And honestly, it's very different energy working on your business, you know, building a coaching practice, let's say, than delivering coaching. Like coaching itself is really about less. It's asking one question and letting it do the work. It's about being in the passenger seat. It's really about holding space. And then I feel like when you're building your business, it really is like you're building a business. It's like, how do you, you know, find product market fit? How do you find the right people? Like, how do you strike that balance between being authentic and then also getting hired? I think for me, there was that, you know, like initially I probably was working really hard trying not to mess up my clients, but just, you know, for anybody who's, you're not going to mess up your clients. You're going to be great. It's going to be amazing. And you'll make a difference even as you grow as a coach. Talking about growing as a coach, for you, I'm curious, how has become, or being a coach and becoming a coach shaped and changed your life? That's such a big question, but it's awesome. Yeah. I think one of the main ways, starting from like an inner outer, I think that number one, coaching is for me about meeting people and celebrating who they are. Like I can't help but love and I don't, and I throw that word around wildly and I mean it, but as a coach, there's this fundamental orientation that we're all on a learning journey. We all have our strengths and our challenges and kind of like relating to someone as whole and like kind of embracing them, like accepting them as is and not needing to fix them and really being there to kind of grow that potential. So for me, it's created a fundamental orientation that people are good. Mm. and that it's, you know, we are either coming from love or fear in ourselves. And I think how that maps onto me is like, you can't do this kind of work, you know, unless you, like coaching is not for the faint of spirit and you can't do this kind of work unless you are constantly working on yourselves. And I know it's scary. I think sometimes as someone who's in this sort of helping profession to admit that, I think a lot of us coaches can sort of hide out behind the assessments that we are knowledgeable in, or sometimes it can sort of, you get caught up in, I don't know what you call it, like typecast as like, you kind of have to have it all together and seem perfect. But that's actually like the farthest thing from, I feel like granted, I don't want to see your messiness all the time, but like real coaches do the work on themselves to constantly evolve. And I feel like that's what makes for an extraordinary coach. That's what makes for an extraordinary person. And kind of like to your point about Brene Brown, about Daring Greatly, you know, she has this great quote where she says, when you share your shame story with the wrong person, they become one more piece of flying debris in an already dangerous storm. And for me as a coach, I feel like I'm that space, that safe space where you can tell me, you know, I set my grandma on fire. Don't, please don't, grandmas were hired in the, were harmed in the recording of this episode, but yeah, like I feel like there's an element of just like loving people as is that coaching has provided me, but also like the ability to do my work. I do a lot of work, whether it's getting certified as a mentor coach or setting adult development. And I don't study these things kind of just generally, like I tend to do a deep dive because I'm really interested in learning not only what it's about, but also allowing whatever body of work I'm setting to transform myself. So for example, in studying an adult development uh, for a while, 
I learned like with my clients, well, I learned first of all, like (laughs) why it can be so challenging for some people to experience empathy. And part of it is like, well, they just, they're not quite there yet, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of like where they are. I also, you know, I always tell my clients, like, you know, I'm sure you, I don't know if you've been in this situation with a client before where they're going through something really, really hard. And often as a coach, I feel like if I was a new coach, I would kind of get caught up in like trying to fix them. And I'm just like, I'm not, I'm like, no, like sometimes as a coach, you're just there to hold the space and the container for that person to grapple with whatever it is they're in. And I learned that really from dialectical behavior therapy, where when you're outside your window of tolerance, you either have the default of going into fight, flight, freeze, or submit, or you can just chill out for a second and just not hurt yourself or anybody else and try to, when your nervous system calms down, practice a little bit more mindfulness. I don't know if that's like taking us way off. You know, there's a couple points there. And part of it is when I'm looking at new coaches or bringing on a coach to our team or bringing people into our our PCC program or anything like that, Mm -hmm. I wrote down empathy. And I think that's such a big part in it. We kind of know this, and I'm sure our listeners know that like empathy is a big part, but where it comes into play is two things, which is you and your story, like you going through these tribulations, these ups and these downs, and you recognizing that kind of struggle in the other person of, hey, I've seen, I've been there, you this too shall pass. I knew you can get out of this kind of stuff. And I think that that's where coaches don't, I mean, I just want to encourage all coaches. Like this isn't again to like share your trauma story. You know, I like to say too, like garbage up, gold down, like bring your garbage to your coach, bring the gold down to the people that you work with. But I I just don't want it to get to this whole thing where we're perfect. After my divorce, I went through a really hard time and I decided to do some intensive work and I did intensive outpatient therapy, which I lovingly refer to as crazy camp, which, which is very unpc. So please don't send hate mail. But I remember showing up and they looked at me and they're like, why is she here? I remember telling one of my peers, I was like, I've totally earned my right to be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like anybody, everybody, like we all need to do work on ourselves. But I think especially when you're in this type of profession, whether you're like a therapist or a coach or a consultant, I mean, they're very different practices and different interventions and there is this sort of sense of like you have to have it together and yes you do but not in a perfect way so in in process yeah and i think that comes back to the other point too and how i actually see that happen with most new coaches and since you were training coaches i'd be curious on your opinion on as well i find most people where they turn off the empathy part is they feel like they have to have all the answers when in fact it's more about asking really good questions, holding the space, and be able to let the client and yourself know that I have your best intentions and I have this overall plan that you know that you hired me and I'm ultimately bringing you to. So, Absolutely. Yeah, it's what I most people struggle with. But yeah, go ahead. I think it's well. I think you hit it. You're like spot on about it, and it's sort of harder to do than it's harder to do. Yeah. Because we're so not aware of the filters and the bias that we bring and especially by the way when we are coaches Mm. because of that like it's sort of a double whammy of we think we need to know and then we kind of think that we do know there's sort of a lot of i mean but you're right like i feel like after i got trained as a coach i've done other training 
And for example, like I did uh, training around the core competencies and really the behaviors associated with them. Mm. I did training around um, how to, men- like I said, how to mentor coaches. And really what I got is that really good coaching is so dumb. Like it's so simple yeah. that there's so little effort that all it requires is really listening from the place of really listening to the person and who they are and their values and their experience of the world and helping them like, you know, like grow their compassion and their strength and helping them quiet some of that internal interference. And I tend to do that, I think, in my own way from humor because I find that that works for me and my clients. And I'm not like being flip about it, but I feel like for me, there's been these moments where it's so raw and tender and real and absurd. And it's such a privilege to be with people in that space. Mm. And then it's really also fun to like be with them when they realize how absurd it is or just how funny it is or how, or when, when you're with a client and they're like, Oh my God, I was so here. You know, remember, remember when you first met me, (laughs) I was was like, yeah, I mean, I liked you then and you're still amazing, but I don't know. Yeah. I think there is this tendency as new coaches, but also if you think about it, it's like when you get anything that's new, you just want to use it on everything. And even stuff that it's not supposed to be used on, it's like, no, you cannot use your bullet, your magic bullet blender on spaghetti. So the sauce, yes, but not the spaghetti. No, I think it's just human nature. Like when we learn something, we want to use it everywhere. Yeah. It's very much as, you know, in training coaches and mentoring coaches, there's different tools and techniques that you just learn over time and you, you become better at essentially how to use it and when to use it. And what I find more often than not, the general rule is, is that if anything, it comes back, you said it insanely simple, is be very present with that person. And usually you can ask really simple questions from there. Because most of the time, for most people in these cases, that they're not sharing this type of stuff with most people or these struggles with most people. And having somebody listen to you that intently and that presently for making up a word on the spot. We're just going to make up all sorts of words. That's what we do on this podcast. But, but, <laughs> but like having that, that level of presence with somebody else, it's what most people don't get to experience, especially in an age where we're, most of us are on our phones or being distracted by something else. And just giving, you know, if anything, what we're talking about here, giving that space to somebody and allowing somebody to come in without judgment, it's one of the, the best and most simple things that, that you can do. Um, it's so simple. Yeah. So my last question for you is, if you had three months to start your business and get into career coaching, instead of you know, the months or the years that, that it would take, what would you do? That's such a good question, but I feel like it, it depends a lot on your comfort zone. You know, like, what do you want to do? Do you want to be an in-house coach for like billions for an organization? Do you want to consult? Do you want to? So I think part of it is sort of deciding what kind of animal you are. I've always been the type of, you know, like sort of like a Bengal kitten. I like to wake up and hunt and kill things. Like you could see that it's just part of my personality. Yeah. Um, hence, I have a 28-pound, you know, rescue. 
that Tacoma. is so much Tacoma. Um, but that's my personality, you know. And so for me, I also work with a lot of startups, sort of founders, you know, management teams or startups. If you ask some of my previous business partners, I remember one someone asked, like, who does Tara like to work with? And she was like, she likes to work with people who break things. And like, I know that that sounds so sexy, mm -hmm. but really think about working with a client who has that kind of potential to break things. I like working with it because of the creation element of it and really the, the unlocking of that potential. But you kind of need to decide who you are, you know, because I think that there's a level of risk and there's a level of like, you can still provide value, you know? So for me, what I would recommend is figure out who you are, and then see what opportunities are available. So in my current capacity, I work with executive MBAs at Cornell, and that provides a level of both stability, but also I really, really like the students that I work with because they're, they're in my sweet spot, like 37 to 42, and they're going to go out and change the, the future of work and business. That's an exciting, so find out who you are, your level of risk and tolerance, you know, tolerance for risk. And then find like your, the people that you really, really want to, that really resonate with you. So I, I work at Cornell, but I also work with like a handful of folks who break things mm. and who make things. I think, I'm not even going to use the N word, but I do think that so much of how I've built my business has simply been through the relationships that I have. And as you're building up credibility and confidence in yourself, I promise you, everyone has allies, people who know your work. Like they may not know you as a coach, but they know you as a human being, or they know you as a former buddy on the soccer team, or they know you. And these people will open doors and lay down their social and political capital on your behalf to help you get clients. I've worked with like a very senior executive at a financial firm, and it actually, this client came to me because my best friend knew that I was moving into a new apartment and needed furniture and her friend was moving out of an, uh, an apartment and this person's husband was an executive at a big <laughs> financial firm. And so it was like these little odds and ends, but this person was, you know, my best friend, of course, but she doesn't know me as a coach. She's never experienced me in coaching, but she was willing to, again, lay down that social and political capital and open doors so that I would have that experience, you know, and then after that, it becomes like, you know, just do what you do, you know, coach people. So know who you are, know your level of risk and tolerance. Cause I feel like a lot of people don't know, like they think that they want to be on their own and they have no idea. It's like, do you really want to be on your own? Do you really want a printer in your bedroom? Do you really want to design content from scratch? Do you want to, do you want to, I don't know where your podcast is set up, but do you, do you want this? Cause I know it looks all sexy, but you know, so does that make sense? I don't know, Philip. I don't know if I answered your question. So it's a lot about deciding who you want to be and like how you want to show up, I imagine. And yeah. Also, this comes into play of like essentially who are you looking to help and who are you looking to serve? Coaches, and I know a lot of people who get into this profession want to help everybody. Like, I want to help everybody. I want to help the people who are just graduating high school and going to college and figuring those things out. I want to help executives in here. But the long story or the spoiler part about it is. We only have 24 hours a day and you're only one person. So it's who can yeah. you best serve? And like and, attracts like. Yeah. Yep. So like, so for example, for me, one of my former clients is a real estate investment CEO and he hired me for high growth. And I remember he asked me, he's like, do you do high growth? And I was like, what is that? <laughs> and he's like, well, I want to make $10 million in 90 days. 
Yeah. And I said, I was like, well, I'd be up for that challenge. And we did. And he made 16. And, but when you think about it, it's like, I like that. Mm. You know, I also work with a ton of women. Like one of my passion projects, as you know, by Next Femme is helping accelerate and adv- helping women advance. For me, bring me a woman who, you know, minority, I'm, I'm Latina. Like bring me, bring me somebody who has some story. You know, I work with a lot of LGBTQ, like, you know, like bring me someone who has someone who wants to disrupt the status quo. But fundamentally, I think it is deciding who you are and who you want to work with. I don't give my, I don't coach people that one of my friends was like, you're friends with all of your clients after your, and I was like, well, I just like my clients. And when you have that kind of profound partnership with people, you know, as you evolve and you keep in touch, like you become friends with these people. And so for me, I know who I am. I know who I'm not. I mean, I don't know that I would have been so not comfortable so you can hear that with my finance background and private equity, I was comfortable with this notion of like, you build a business, a book a business, right? So mm-hmm. it made more sense for me to be on my own. And then later on, I also understood the pressures of working with people who have to produce results. And it's not just about your leadership. It's about, well, there's your leadership. And then there's like, what's the impact of that? So I think it's sort of deciding who you are, but also there is something around risk. Because there's plenty of opportunities, especially nowadays in the marketplace. We have such a deep understanding of coaching, like HR, human resources. They're so familiar with it now, you know, whether it's Josh Burson and his academy at Deloitte or pretty much every HR now has some element of coaching in their talent development. So if that's more your comfort zone, then do that because you can still make a huge difference with people. It comes back to uh, decide who you are and how you want to show up and people that you want to work with and who do you want to serve but then it comes back to the last thing and how now we're we're talking about it here too is essentially now what does that look like and what does it look like for you in your situation meaning for many people you know coming in here with a family or do you have a full-time job or where yes or what part of the world do you live in or all those things like that and knowing that it's not an overnight thing knowing it takes many years and sometimes it takes trials and errors but I think part of what you shared that I absolutely loved, and I tell people this all the time is, and the way I tell myself is no one in this life does anything great alone. Often you're doing it with other people. And part of, part of us creating this podcast, part of us getting to, to meet and have this conversation today, but part of all of our listeners listening to it here is that you're part of a community that's bigger than just you. And getting the opportunity to connect with people who are part of this space will give you so many more ideas, but give you the opportunity to just to connect to a community of people who are looking to do new, different, better things and might find some of those people who are, aren't afraid to break things either. So great. It's so, so, so true. A lot of my initial sponsors in building my coaching business were coaches and people who had, you know, or had consulting backgrounds. Again, like, it's, it's a really interesting conversation about human potential. And I think coaches are the guardians of that and helping kind of remind people who they are and what's possible. So I'm so excited. I'm excited about what you're doing. This is going to be fun. Thank you very much, but I'm super excited. And part of this whole journey of me hosting this podcast is to find all new best friends. So I'm so excited <laughs> because I feel like in this conversation, we became best friends, but that's all my own, mm-hmm. my own selfish part. But I think too, thank you so much for coming on here and 
sharing your journey, but I think at least one of the biggest things that I've picked up of really what you shared and more about you is that this is so much of a journey, right? And Mm -hmm. for a lot of people starting out, it's about going out there and doing all this stuff. But I think part of this whole process is coming back to the simple parts of it and being really present with people and holding that space. And if anything, that's one of the biggest things that I think you do very well, but you've done very well since we, before we hit record button to eat. So I very much appreciate that here. And if anything, our listeners can take away. I think that's one of the biggest things. Oh, thanks so much, Philip. I really, really appreciate it. And just to piggyback on that, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like creating the space and setting the intention and then doing the work, you know, like there is a doing this, but I think if, if anything, if I can give like a last parting shot or something, it's really the clearer that you get, like I usually spend a month writing out my vision for the year. And often it's really hard. I have to fast forward to when I'm really, really old to like when I'm like 125 and what I want my life to be about. And then I'm like, so what do I want 2020 to be about? And that's a, that little bit of reverse engineering allows me to like really free up. But I think that there is sort of like a, like you're not getting, you're not becoming a coach. Like there's lots of other ways to make money and if you want to be very transactional, so it has to be something that's important to you. But just get clear, like, what, what is your vision? You know, for me with the next fem, I sat down and thought about who my avatar was for about a month, you know, who she was. And then two years later, when I had an event in Monterey, she was there two years older, like all the women that I had created this company for. And same thing with your coaching practice, you attract the people, like, I feel like coaching is a conversation that you are having with the world. Mm. So I attract people who are really interesting to me where I'm like, this is a cool conversation. I want to have this conversation. I hope I want to help you so that I can have this conversation with the world. And so that's what I mean by like, get clear about who you are. And cause we kind of need you to be in your happy space. And the international coach federation is really, I think doing a great job of, focusing on the practitioner and their own sort of what you bring to the table, not just what you're doing. So yeah, set, an, set a clear intention and then yes, go do. First get clear about who you are, what you want, what you stand for. Well, I couldn't think of a better way to, to end this episode, but thank you so much, Tara, for coming on this podcast. Thanks for bringing along Tacoma as well. Say hi and to Daphne for me. I'll say hi to Daphne for you. But thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Thanks for everybody for listening here. And on that note, closing everything out and we'll see you guys on the next episode. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to How to Become a Career Coach. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast player. For more resources, go to becomeacareercoach.com. 